Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug and play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point of sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. Another edition of Atlantic and Coastal, the Athletics ACC podcast. I'm Andy Bitter, the host of Atlantic and Coastal, Virginia Tech football beat writer. It is a big week for the ACC. This is the game we've all been waiting for. Clemson against Notre Dame. Uh, playoff implications galore in this one. Uh, revenge factor from Clemson going into this one. Notre Dame trying to win an ACC championship in its first year in a conference in forever. Uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, 5,000 fans are going to be allowed at this game. It sounds like it's a pretty hot ticket in Charlotte right now. Uh, usually that is a Clemson home game down there. I'm going to be curious to see what the atmosphere is like in this whole thing. We're going to talk about all that in this podcast. We're also going to hit on at the end, Virginia Tech keeping Justin Fuente, uh, you know, sort of the implications of that and everything. I want to hit on UNC just demolishing Miami uh, in a result that was just a blowout. <laughs> just a staggering uh, amount of offense in that game. Very un-Miami-like to get that result. But obviously I want to talk about the biggest game of the weekend, Clemson, at my, Clemson against Notre Dame. And that's why we're going to have Nicole Auerbach here to discuss it all. Joining us now is Nicole Auerbach, a senior writer for the senior writer for the Athletic, covering college football. You can listen to her on the Big Football Show, the Athletic's Big Ten podcast. She decided to come over to a conference that decided to play a lot of games this year instead of half a season, like the Big Ten did. Uh, Nicole, you you might know her. Actually, I should also mention this: you might know her from such public draggings as the College Football Playoff Committee this week. Uh, Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you for bringing uh, your insight to uh, this little old ACC podcast here. 
Well, I am just thrilled to be here. And um, yeah, that we could talk about lots of games being played, double digits even. Wow. what This is so weird to me. It is very nice. Uh, the end of a long, long season here. Uh, obviously, the game that we're t- going to talk about here, Clemson against Notre Dame in the ACC championship. Uh, you know, the ACC had played so many games that it decided to give these two teams a week off last week. That, they're just like, man, we're just bathing in these games right now. We can give them off. <laughs> uh, this is a really interesting game coming up. Number two versus number three, I believe, in the college football playoff rankings right now. Uh, Clemson is a 10.5-point favorite in this game. Uh, the Tigers are going for their sixth straight ACC title uh, first of all, how weird is this to be talking about Notre Dame in a conference title game? I mean, I, I feel like we, we've kind of gotten used to them being in the conference over the season, but this is still like historic and strange right now. That's a really good point because so many weird things have happened in 2020 that I think we are actually not talking about that enough. How funny it would be if Notre Dame were to win a conference championship in the one year that it is in a conference. Uh, You know, I've been thinking about this all week. Like if you're Notre Dame and you do that, what do you do with the trophy? Like I would just put it front and center. Like basically like as soon as you go into their football facility, it's like, oh, here's our ACC championship trophy. Like I would do something super obnoxious with it if I were them because it's so funny that they're in this position. I would leave it on the bench like the civil conflict trophy. Just leave it sitting there. Just maybe drape like a a sheet over it or something like that if it's raining so nobody gets to it. No, the poor Civil Conflict Trophy deserved better. Deserved better. But no. Did it? I I do. Yes. Okay. I'll trust you on that one. I don't know if it did. Yes. Yes. Um, No, but but it is is kind of crazy. Um, You know, again, like I think we all expected that Clemson and Notre Dame would be the two best teams in the country. Although, you know, I did think. You know, North Carolina was a popular dark horse pick in the league and people wondered about Miami. So I think like ultimately that these are the two best teams. They had, you know, arguably the game of the year and we get to see it again. Like all of that is awesome. And I think that, you know, it's weird that the ACC championship game is expected to be competitive. It's been a little while for that. It's also been a little while since like it had this much, this many implications. And Part of the weird thing about it is that we feel pretty confident that Notre Dame is in either way, and that's also a strange dynamic. But again, like the best case scenario for the ACC and the Notre Dame for this one-year marriage, it could not have worked out better for both sides. Yeah, I think we need to make Notre Dame an honorary Coastal Division member, just to say that we had eight different champions in eight years. Eight for eight. Uh, Keep it going. Are we disrespecting Notre Dame? Uh, and ten and a half, think- ten and a half point underdogs. They're an unbeaten team, number two in the country. They beat Clemson earlier this year, and all we're talking about is, yeah, Clemson's going to win this and get back in, and, and they're both going to make the playoff. So, so I did not know that that was the line on this game, and I am shocked by that. I am too. They, I'm not. A, I'm not they, a big gambler. Beat, I would take Notre Clemson. Dame. They they already beat this team first of all. And I, I mean, I understand, you know, there's a Trevor Lawrence bump. Um, the more important thing is the defensive bump that they're going to be healthier defensively. But that is bizarre. And, and I think that we actually have been too overconfident that Clemson is going to win this game because I think like that's the simplest path for the playoff. And we do think that those two teams are very close and like that, you know, James Skowski and Tyler Davis and Trevor Lawrence like are the missing piece and, and that they should be able to avenge this loss. But Notre Dame beat them. And, like, Ian Book played phenomenal. Like, this is a team that could absolutely 
beat him again, and then that puts the 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 playoff into some serious chaos if that happens. But I I absolutely am shocked by that line because like, and I love Clemson as much as anybody, and I and I and I love Trevor Lawrence as much as anybody, but. They played really well and lost to Notre Dame the first time. That is true. I mean, you look at uh, DJ Uyangalale, uh yeah, throwing for 430-some yards or something like that. Uh, incredible performance of that. It's certainly not the offense that lost that game. And you're right. They were missing some key defenders in that game. Uh, Skalski, Tyler Davis, uh, especially. Uh, all those people coming back. I mean, it, I feel like the, the big deal in this game is like we get angry Clemson. And like angry, motivated Clemson with something to prove. And I don't know if there's a scarier thing out there other than saying healthy, angry Alabama with something to prove. Because when they have to go out there and prove something, they have done pretty well on that. Is that the uh, the biggest factor in this? That is that why we're all just assuming that Clemson is going to win this game? I think so. And also, we've still only ever seen Trevor Lawrence lose a game one time. And it was an LSU team that was like lightning in a bottle, right? So I, I do think um, there's something to his return as well. And again, DJ played great and set records against Notre Dame and South Bend. But there's something different there, I think, to, you know, this is a, a Clemson program that even in the last few years when they haven't had someone near their level like a Notre Dame and they kind of had this like inevitable march to the postseason – they, they kind of get into Death Star Clemson mode this time of year, and they take off, and they are honestly terrifying. And so I think there's some of that, too, that we are used to seeing them find a different level this time of year um, and just be terrifying. And I think, too, that's part of it. But I, I think a lot of this is just the expectations that we have for Clemson. This is a team that has not missed the college football playoffs since it started. So... I don't think we're we're fully kind of like getting ourselves mentally prepared for the opportunity or the chance that they would lose this game and then maybe not make the playoff. Like that conversation is not being had because we haven't had a playoff without them. And I think that that's kind of also coloring the way that we think about this game, that they, they know they need to win it. Their backs are against the wall. And like you said, it's, it's angry Clemson with something to prove. And again, you know, almost every single time it's angry Clemson with something to, to prove, they do something pretty incredible is this a Heisman opportunity for Trevor Lawrence I mean he missed the first one and and that was obviously a spotlight game where I feel like if he had played in that and they win that he's probably still among the front runners right now but we do our little you know weekly Heisman poll thing Has, has he been has he been in yours I've considered him and I've considered him because I think of it and I go he is the most critical player on a Clemson team right now where I don't know if I can say that about uh, you know, I have been voting Mac Jones, and uh, obviously uh, the receiver there, uh, Devontae Smith, has done incredibly and, and kind of shot up to the top of our poll, I think, this week. Uh, you know, Kyle Trask at Florida, I've said it before, he might not be the best Kyle on that team. Uh, you know, it, it's just, it's tough to figure it out. I feel like in a season this weird, having a showcase opportunity like this at the end of the year, I mean, this, I mean, if he puts up some huge game and Clemson wins this one, I feel like he can jump up there. And it, maybe it's, it's writing a past wrong where he hasn't really been considered for that kind of stuff. So I, I think because it seems pretty open, like the fact that our poll has changed so much every week about like kind of the flavor of the moment makes me think there's not real consensus yet. 
And and maybe there is, and maybe, you know, if Mac Jones and Kyle Trask go head-to-head this weekend and whoever outduels the other, maybe that person just wins the Heisman. But I've been thinking about it, and, like, I fundamentally have an issue with it just becoming a quarterback award. So, for me, I really like Devontae Smith, and I think that he is the best player on the, on the Alabama offense. So, therefore, then why would Mac Jones win the Heisman if he's not the best player on the offense? And the same with Kyle Pitts and Kyle Trask, right? And, and just, to, just to, again, like, make people think about this award a little differently. But I'm with you on Trevor, and, and I've got to admit, now that, you know, it's been most of the week since the, the straw poll, I, had, I voted for Trevor in the third place spot. Because, and I haven't done that every single week, but I am starting to think, you know, put my Heisman voter cap on and think about who I think is the most outstanding player in the country. And I think that there is a very real possibility that Clemson will have the Deshaun Watson era and the Trevor Lawrence era and come out of it with zero Heismans. And I don't understand how that happens. I, know, I mean, I know how that happens, but that fundamentally doesn't compute for me. And so I think that I am going to absolutely take into consideration what Trevor does. Um, I, I think, you know, there have been players who are going to garner some attention who have played less games. So that really shouldn't be the deciding factor that he missed a couple games. Is Notre Dame going to be able to bottle up Travis Etienne again? Yeah, twenty-eight yards in the first game. Clemson ran for which thir- ne- never happens. Clemson ran for thirty-four as a team. I realize they threw for all those yards, but you would probably like a little bit more balance there. Clemson has not rushed for less than a hundred in any other game this year. Uh, struggled a little bit against Boston College, uh, but but really every other game they've been okay uh, at least running the ball. But they got nothing in this game last time, which is a credit to Notre Dame's defense. I mean, you saw what they went down and did uh, at North Carolina, a team that then almost had 800 yards against Miami last week. Uh, I mean, this is a really good Notre Dame defense. I, I'm wondering, can they do that again and, and make uh, Clemson so one-dimensional? Oh, it's almost like their defensive coordinator pretty good maybe you know sec head coach quality um but yeah no i i'm with you i would be surprised if they do it again i mean if you think about the way that you know clemson is built and especially with travis Etienne, like as kind of the, the the face of this they are built to beat you in different ways and to adapt and to adjust um and you know even etn you know can be used in the passing game if the run game gets get stifled but for me it's just hard to imagine having that familiarity and going through what they did against this team up close and personal that they would not have a better game plan to address all of the ways that Notre Dame attacked them the first time and and exploited their weaknesses so um I I do think that that is um something I would be surprised if that happens again and I think too you know you were coming into that game with a Fresh, true freshman quarterback and so maybe maybe you're thinking they need to run the ball to take some pressure off him and obviously that's not how the game ended up going but there could have been certain emphasis points that are going to be maybe a little bit different just knowing that it's Trevor Lawrence at quarterback who knows I, I I hope that that's not the case because Travis Etienne has been one of my favorite players to watch in college football and I don't want him to end his career with like not performing well because that is just not at all the representation of what he's done to college football. So I'd be surprised. But again, you're, you're absolutely right. I think retroactively looking back at the North Carolina Notre Dame game, that's why I think they're a lock for the playoff because of that performance. Now looking back at it, considering what they've done to other teams. Yeah, that makes sense. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I'm curious, you know, to, to flip it over to the Notre Dame side offensively. Is there a more, I don't want to say overlooked, but just not appreciated quarterback in the country is Ian Book? Uh, I mean, he, th- he threw for 310 yards and had a touchdown, 67 rushing in the first game of this. 15 touchdowns, uh, almost a 150 rating this year. And I feel like when the All ACC voting is going to come out, you've got Lawrence and Sam Howell's one-two, uh, Derek King. And book maybe for that third spot. I mean, I feel like when we talk about a Notre Dame quarterback, historically, if you're that good at Notre Dame, you're a Heisman candidate. And I don't hear Ian Book's name ever mentioned in that conversation. And he's been a he's he been should, a really good quarterback. Should. Yeah, like like fundamentally, he should be. But you're right; he's just not. And and the weird thing is, and I would consider myself in this camp. Like, I think we all kind of thought, okay, he's like a pretty good college quarterback you know entering this year even up until the Clemson game like you know he struggles in those big games like in the big moments hostile environments but like the big games he just can't rise to the occasion then he rises to the occasion and he's played at a level that I didn't know he was capable of but I still think everyone's perception of him is kind of the same and it was almost like when he became the winningest quarterback Notre Dame history and there wasn't like this I don't know, this like intense, insane fanfare of like the way that we think about, you know, like when Trevor Lawrence finishes his career of like his mark on this program. But Ian Book has left a huge mark on this program. And that win over Clemson was so big for them and this perception and the narratives of of Notre Dame in the big games, but also for Ian Book. And yet we still take him for granted. And he absolutely is overlooked. And, you know, I, I don't know why that is at this point considering the way he's played the second half of the season but it's absolutely the case and and again I think it's just we're not we're not letting ourselves believe that he has improved because we're still thinking he's kind of you know a pretty good college quarterback but not one that we would build a team around or we would you know pick first if we did like a draft of you know college players right now or Heisman draft or whatever it is um and and but we should think about him differently. I think he has changed his legacy based on the way he's played this back half of the season and the Clemson game. But you know, it, again, he is absolutely talented enough to beat Clemson again. He did it the first time. You get that game manager label, and it's tough to shake it. Like nobody can yes. can view you in any other way. And like he doesn't have gaudy stats this year, but he has been effective. Uh, and he runs that offense well. I mean, you look at this. You know, first time in this game, Notre Dame runs for two hundred eight yards. Uh, Kyron Williams, 140 with three touchdowns. Uh, you know, that's against a Clemson defense that is six nationally, 2.9 yards per carry. It's a pretty good Clemson defense. I realize it wasn't the whole group there, 
Uh, but this offensive line that Notre Dame has is a big, nasty group that can push people around. Uh, I'm curious if you think they can do it again against uh, an obviously motivated uh, Tigers defense that's a little bit more healthy this time. Well, that's going to be the the big question because, you know, Tyler Davis is, is a big um, addition to have back for Clemson. Um, and Skalski, you know, our colleague Grace Rayner, she says, you know, that is the most important. That was the important difference in that first go around, um, you know, him not being available. And so I, I think that that is going to be a big question. Um, and, and can they get that going? I, I had a story that we published um, on Thursday in The Athletic about the way that some of the teams that are playing championship weekend use tight ends. And I think that Notre Dame is, is they're featured in it. And I talked to tight ends coach John McNulty for a while about it. Because they do a lot of 12 and 13 personnel. And and Michael Meyer is a really big third down target for them. And that's also been something that's evolved as the season has gone. Um, and so, again, like to your point, like maybe the numbers aren't as overwhelming as other quarterbacks or other tight ends or things like that. But the way that they do it, it works. And the way they move their players around, pre-snap motion, all these interesting things. We talked When I talked to John McNulty, we were talking about um, their goal line call – in overtime against Clemson the first time and they had like their tight ends like lined up they they set up empty and then they moved and then they kind of like all they they ended up blocking for Kyron who ran for a touchdown and it was really it was it was a fun play to like kind of rehash and look at because he was just talking about when they set up and they have two or three tight ends in the game or up to four the same time just like how defenses don't know how to how there's too many options of things you can do so again, there's like there's these intricate things that Notre Dame is doing that don't always like jump out, but are effective and and they work and and those are things like again like to the Ian book point um, that they just don't it's just not as sexy as some of the other teams and some of the other offenses and quarterbacks and um, and you know we'll see because it's worked in every game up until now and um, I'm just really fascinated like this is the going to be to me the best game of championship weekend there is the most interesting things at stake considering the playoff. Um, and I just think it's going to be the best game. And and I'm really excited, although I will say, I just want to put this out into the internet, that I don't need to see this game a third time, even if the second one is good. You know, playoff committee, please, we don't need to see it in a semifinal in less than two weeks. I love that you bring up the playoff there because that's what I wanted to ask you about next. Uh, I think we're both in agreement that if Clemson wins this, Notre Dame is still in. Yes. Um, what if Notre Dame wins a close one? Is Clemson necessarily out? Because I keep seeing, hearing people say, yeah, Clemson's out. You lose twice, you're out. And then I look at the other teams that you might be picking there. Texas A&M, not that impressive of a resume. Got blown out in the one game against a playoff caliber team that it played against. Iowa State's got two losses. Lost to Louisiana. Not, not Louisiana State. Certainly not Louisiana State from last year. Louisiana uh, to open the season. Not a bad team. Uh, Louisiana, but still, you know, not a, a loss that you like to have on your resume. Uh, you know, Georgia, no, double-digit losses twice this year to the best teams they played. Florida, in this scenario, losing to Alabama would fall out. Oklahoma, two losses, could it get up that high? Cincinnati, nobody takes them seriously. Certainly not the playoff committee. I, I like Cincinnati, but I'm looking at all those teams and I'm going, is a two-loss Clemson really worse than any of these teams? Well, considering the way that the selection committee has attempted to use logic um not effectively they're using logic I think, no i don't think they are so therefore um i would not say i would not rule anything out 
Um, because, like, even Florida, if they somehow miraculously win this game, like, I would think that they would probably be in. The committee didn't they, – they dropped them one spot for losing to a bad LSU team that was depleted and half the rosters opted out. Like, if they're still in the mix, um, then, like, all of this is up in the air. I mean, they've been slowly sliding up these big 12 teams, and now they're saying, oh, Iowa State has a win over the top 10, 10 ranked, you know, Oklahoma and 20 ranked Texas. And you're like, well, first of all, Texas isn't very good and probably shouldn't be 20 if they were – a different name team they probably would be but also you rank those teams in those spots so you that's how you're justifying this record um and and the iowa state spot so i I think you're right though that clemson would would for sure be considered and i know Dabo's already been stumping for this scenario a little bit as well um so okay so let in this scenario clemson loses a close game and we're assuming the favorites win all the other ones. Yeah. So, okay. So you would have, it would probably come down to Clemson A&M. And then are we assuming Iowa State wins the Big 12 championship? Whoever wins that one. I mean, they both have two losses at that point, this point. Oklahoma, okay, so Oklahoma different- would have the name, but it would also be like, Oklahoma again. We're going to, we're going to do mm, this again. True. This is true. So, okay. So in this situation, Clemson's best win is Miami. That's right. And they didn't, they didn't play North Carolina. They didn't. Their their strongest the the calling card would be their we have the best loss in the country. But twice. So we'd be punishing Clemson for having to play a playoff caliber team a second time. Well Texas A and M didn't even have to play in that game. Like we always talk hypothetically, if you're in uh the championship week like what if that game wasn't played where would you be that's always a hypothetical but this year it actually like we don't know what could happen with covid like the acc championship game could get canceled and if that happened clemson would be in they'd just be in we wouldn't change anything going to next week so why would if clemson played again against notre dame and and the result was similar say it goes to overtime again or something like that you're going to punish them because that game actually got played and then elevating the texas a&m team that you know the one playoff caliber team that they played they were outclassed in that game they lost by 20 some points uh you know their win against florida will look worse and worse well maybe not if the committee doesn't drop florida uh if they lose this uh, sec title game that much i just in all years, it feels like the eye test matters, uh, like this year in particular. It is the only thing that matters because the way that they're trying to justify things after the fact don't make any sense this year. Like literally Gary Barta, the college football playoff selection chair, has said about Georgia, oh, they've really found something in their quarterback. It's like, no, you had them in the top 10 before JT Daniels took over too. So, so like even usually they're better at justifying these things after the fact to make it sound logical. And that's not happening this year. So like the running joke all week since Tuesday has been, well, Florida could lose this game and make the playoff now because the committee doesn't seem to penalize Florida for losing a game, right? So I, I think that it'd be really interesting and it'd be hilarious if the, collect, if the selection committee just straight up said, you know what? We know Clemson has two losses to the same team. We're kind of going to discount that to be one loss. We th- still think they're one of the four best teams in the country, but this is just a bad matchup for them. They could do that. They could literally do that if they wanted to because they put Ohio State in as their top four the first time with four games played. Right. So they're they're clearly relying on the eye test and just saying who they think are good teams. 
And they could say, okay, Clemson lost the first time. They were undermanned. You know, they didn't have Trevor Lawrence. They didn't have the defensive players. So we're going to discount that. And then it was the same team. It's the, you know, no one else had to play the same playoff caliber team twice. Like, you, we could talk ourselves into this, how they would do it. There's it, no rules. It would be it would be tough to justify, I think. But it could be justifiable. I mean, you if, if the scenario goes like we said it would, that number four spot is going to be a flawed team, no matter who they put in there. Are you going to put Texas A&M in there to play Alabama again, a team it's already lost to by, uh, what was it, 24 points? Or, I, forget, I, think, I forget what the margin I, I, I was. I think everyone involved in this needs Clemson to win this game. Exactly. We might be getting into eight-team playoff faster than we think if Clemson loses this game and still gets in. Uh, I know there's, or there's, we have A and M Alabama again, and we've already seen that game, right? Like, like these alternatives are not great, and you know you already have so much frustration around this this year because of Coastal and Cincinnati and the way they've been treated. Indiana fans have been really upset. USC and Pac-12 fans have been upset by the way they've been treated. It would be par for the course to put like a two-loss non-conference champion Clemson into this thing. I kind of want to see this chaos happen. I always root for chaos. This would be nice. Uh, I think to this see would happen. be the most chaotic potential outcome. This would be perfect for 2020. Uh, two things I want to ask you here before we get out. Uh, bowl opt-outs. The ACC is leading the country in bowl opt-outs. BC, Pitt, Virginia Tech, ending a 27-year streak. UVA and Georgia Tech have opted out. Georgia Tech doing that at three at seven. Uh, that is like me pulling out of the Mr. Universe running. Nobody was asking me to be in this, and Georgia Tech pulled themselves out of this bowl game anyway. This is totally understandable, right, for these schools to be doing it. Like, I totally sympathize with the players here. Like, this is a great decision to be opting out of the, uh, These are all second- and third-tier games. You're not going to be able to do the regular bowl activities. You can't enjoy the town. Uh, I just don't see the motivation for going to these. No, and I think that's a really important piece that people – maybe are missing um, because they want these games to be played at like 3 p.m. on a Thursday to, to entertain us. But if you're not playing in a New Year's Six Bowl, then what's really the point? Because, you're again, you're not going anywhere for the week. You're not doing these community outreach, these activities that are fun and kind of like the reward for the season. You're doing – you'd be flying in like the day before the game, playing a game and leaving. And you'd be sitting in your dorm room at home every night – in protocol, worrying about testing, worrying about contact tracing for weeks, and you haven't seen your family, you haven't seen your friends in months. Like it just it's 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 a total, you know, you're you're looking at the opportunity cost there and it doesn't make any sense. And so I think it makes all the sense in the world that people would opt out of these bowl games. I'm honestly surprised that there are still so many on right now. Me too. Um like from the from the bowl perspective. Again, without all of these things, without fans or very limited fans, um, I would think that everything below New Year's Six could have been wiped in a year like this. I think that we're probably going to have like a New Year's Six game get canceled. I think that's a very real possibility. You know, if one of those teams has an outbreak or something, that you just call it. I think after December 19th, there's only four teams that really matter and need to get to the finish line. And so... If you're not one of those four, I think you do want to take a really hard look at this. And I think the reason the ACC is leading the country in this right now is because they finished first. They started first. They got a lot of games in. And they got to the end of the season first. I think you're going to see this out of, like, Big Ten teams and places, you know, after they finish the regular season on Saturday. 
that they will make these decisions or just straight up decline a bowl ask, you know, when the bowl calls them. But the ACC, these were preemptive saying, hey, don't don't schedule us. Don't put us in a bowl because we have no interest in playing it. And you've had some Pac-12 teams doing this, too. Stanford was the first one because they were on the road for like a month to get their games in. These players have been through so much and, and they're mentally drained, physically drained. And they're going to have to do this all again in January when they come back anyway. They're going to have to go back in these protocols and you know be really careful and, again, like forego all of this part of a college experience that makes it college. So I don't feel bad. I, 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 I can't fault them at all. I think it's smart. I think it's, it is – like Jeff Halfley put it this way, that in a normal year, a week in a warm place with your friends on the team is the reward, the bowl game. But this year the reward is going home. And spending some time with your family. And I agree. I think that that they should not be faulted at all. From what I've been told, the league has been fine with it. Um, at least the early opt-outs. They, there's no pressure to do it to fulfill a TV obligation. So I think everyone is in the same page here. That it's just been a long nine months. And, um, you know, you got to do what's best for you. And, again, I think the only people who are you know, bothered by this are, you know, keyboard warriors or whatever we call them these days who think that this generation is soft, but they're not the ones who've been in this protocol for six months trying to get a season in. I think Dabo called them thumb gangsters this week. Was that 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 the word? I I, I think that's the new, that's that's their new lingo for this. Thumb gangsters. I like a good fossil watch as much as the next guy or a Helen of Troy uh, hair dryer, the Sun Bowl gift out there. But yeah, I I think if I were a player, I'd be like, I'd rather see my family on Christmas than, you know, go play in the military bowl or the pinstripe bowl or something. Imagine like if you, for, you know, you sacrificed all that. So you didn't go home, you know, didn't Christmas. And then the bowl game gets canceled the day before anyway. Right. Like, imagine how awful that would be after this year and everything everyone's been through. I think that's part of the thinking as well. Well, there's one last thing I wanted to get to. Uh, The ACC will have a new commissioner coming up, Jim Phillips, the Northwestern Athletic Director, a guy I think a lot of people thought would be the Big Ten commissioner. Uh, Did not get that job, but now the ACC has stolen right out from under uh, the Big Ten like this. This will be something interesting to watch. You're up there in Big Ten country. You know uh, Jim Phillips pretty well. Tell us about this hire. I think it's a great hire. Um, I I think you're absolutely right that we all did think that he was probably going to be Jim Delaney's successor. And then the Big Ten presidents went really outside the box and hired Kevin Warren from the NFL. He had not been working in the college's space. And... Basically, you had this commissioner in waiting, someone who was ready to be in that role, really just a great relationship building person. He has been on numerous like the the big NCAA committees like the D1 Council and the Basketball Selection Committee, Um, really good grasp of the issues. And I think that that's such an important thing for someone taking over a a Power Five conference right now, like the name, image, and likeness reform, the ability for players to profit off of their likeness, the one-time transfer, all of that's coming in 2021. So you need to understand that this is an evolving and changing landscape, but then also, you know, be savvy enough to deal with the media rights stuff, to, to prioritize, you know, a broad-based, um, you know, a- a- academic and athletic offering for, for these schools. So I think that's where you have this really well-respected athletic director from a different league who still has great relationships with people, presidents and 80s in your league, and has worked with Kevin White, has worked at Notre Dame, 
and understands all of that, but then has built things at a place that hasn't had a lot of success. And, and you've, you've invested in the resources for football and two fo- Big Ten championships in the last three years. Basketball makes a tournament for the first time. Like, the investment is in the sports and in the balance that the ACC wants. Like, the ACC and the Big Ten – you know, are, are similar in a lot of ways. And so I think this was a great hire because, again, he was ready to be a commissioner and has that that background, the relationships across the board. And you're sliding into a conference that is very similar and prioritizes similar things to what he was doing in the Big Ten and at Northwestern. Um, I was texting with Chris Collins, you know, and, and obviously, you know, he brought him from Duke and you know, got Northwestern to the tournament. And we were texting about it because, you know, I'm in Chicago. I'm, you know, now I'm right near there. I can see these guys a lot. And so, like, we were both personally bummed that that Jim was leaving, although obviously, like, one of us sees him every day and is his, you know, direct report, and so it's a little different. But we were just saying, like, he's going to kill it in this role because, you know, a, a, for a league that has so much pride in its basketball reputation, um, is, grow, you know, is, is, is elevating as a football league, um, and, and is, you know, again, takes pride in offering, you know, a wide variety of sports and, and really supporting, like, that broad base. Like, it's a perfect fit. And it's just interesting because I think, you know, we thought it was going to be Jim Clements, Clemson's president for a long time, and something broke down there, and there were other names leaked, and then it just sort of happened. And... I, I don't think it could have worked out any better for the ACC, um, and and it's going to be a great transition. I think it's so interesting now with Kevin Warren and now Jim Phillips in that room. The dynamics of the Power Five commissioners has really changed after the same voices in Mike Slive, John Swafford, Jim Delaney for so long, and it's such an interesting time to take over a job like this. So I think it's going to be fascinating. I think everyone in ACC country is really going to like Jim. He's got a lot of energy, a lot of positive energy. Um, and, you know, the coaches, ADs, everyone's going to get along with him really well. So I, 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 again, could not be more high on this hire. I don't think anybody goes out there and is lamenting like, oh, we didn't get the commissioner hire we wanted or something like that. But Kevin Warren has had a rough first year in the Big Ten. Uh, I'm curious what Big Ten schools would think if Jim Phillips goes down to the ACC and is a highly successful commissioner. They're like, man, we, we let one of our own get away. And, and this guy that we currently have is, isn't really running things that great. Well, I do, I do think that, you know, this is someone, you know, obviously Jim has great relationships with the other Big Ten ADs. There were people who wanted him to get that job. So I think that was already kind of like a dynamic that was that was happening. Um, but it's, it is early in Kevin Warren's tenure. It is a pandemic. You know, he did not get to get to all of his campuses and, and build those relationships. But also, you know, I, I think, and this is a shift, and I think we've all kind of learned more about this in 2020 because a lot of decisions had to be made at the presidential level in these leagues. But, you know, there can be a shift between prioritizing, you know, reporting to the presidents and what they want and the ADs and balancing those things. And that's been different in in the Big Ten since Kevin Warren's taken over. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how all of that shakes out in, in the ACC. But, you know, in terms of like John Swafford's ability to, you know, build consensuses and, and things like that, that will still be a piece of Jim Phillips. And I think that, you know, his AD background and, and again, all of the other places on um, in college sports that he, you know, had his pulse on is, is going to be a really big boost for this league. And, um it, I, I think you're right that if he does have this, you know, transformative tenure at the ACC, uh, there will be people who look back on the what if the Big Ten had gone that way instead of, you know, deciding to go outside the box. 
Well, Nicole, I know a bunch of ACC teams have opted out of the postseason. I hope you do not opt out of the postseason because I enjoy reading your stuff so much. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. And um, let's let's root for chaos. Let's see what happens. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, thanks again to Nicole for coming on. Everybody should go follow her on Twitter at Nicole Auerbach. Uh, I honestly don't know when she sleeps because it's just constant breaking news all the time. Uh, definitely follow her on Twitter if you want to keep up with all the happenings in college football right now. A few closing thoughts here. I wanted to start with Virginia Tech, which what a week this has been at Virginia Tech. I feel like it's like eight days into the week at this point. It's only Thursday when I'm recording this. Uh, they decide, the Hokies decide to keep Justin Fuente. Uh, there was some talk or some rumblings, perhaps, that he might not be retained there after a 5-6 and six season, team's first uh, losing season in the regular season since 1992. Uh, ultimately, the Hokies kept him. I, I think it is the right call. I don't know if it was the right way to get there with the athletic director calling a press conference on the day that his buyout dropped by $2.5 million, but... Uh, messaging aside, I feel like this was a very tough time to make a move like that. Do you spend $10 million plus a year or $10 million plus total, I should say, to tear it all down when I don't know if there was an obvious savior candidate out there? Uh, I know I'd heard uh, lots of names that people wanted. I just don't know if there was one that was like, yes, that is one you have to fire this guy and go get absolutely because he's going to turn this program around. I think Fuente has a ton of work to do here. And, you know, just before I started recording to this, uh, Hendon Hooker, quarterback, went into the transfer portal a day after a couple of four-star offensive linemen, uh, Brian uh, Hudson and Doug Nestor, go into the transfer portal as well. I think it's going to be a rocky offseason for the Hokies again. And that is going to be tough for Justin Fuente to turn things around here. He's got to recruit better. He's got to repair some in-state relationships. They've got to find week-to-week consistency in the fall. They've got to stabilize this roster somehow. There's just transfer portal turnover all the time. And all those are reasons I know it sounds like maybe they should have gotten rid of him. But I feel like just right now that I would give him another shot uh, with this program, with the pandemic and everything that went on this year. I think it's interesting. I, I, I think I look at this and what Whit Babcock, the athletic director, did earlier this week by deciding to keep him. I think he very much tied his future to Justin Fuentes. Uh, Fuente was a coach that Babcock hired 
to replace Frank Beamer. So they're already sort of tied to begin with. But now I think uh, very much that however next season goes for Fuente will decide whether uh, he will continue as the coach here and probably will decide whether Babcock continues as the athletic director. Second point I need to mention, you know, I, I talked about it a little bit at the top uh, with Nicole, but that North Carolina thrashing of Miami, 62-26. to 26, uh, I was watching this on TV, and it was just amazing to me. The yardage that the, the Tar Heels were racking up in this one, 778 yards, 554 rushing yards. Javante Williams had 236 yards and three touchdowns on the ground. And that would be a career day for anybody. His teammate, Michael Carter, in the same game had 308 rushing yards and two touchdowns. I looked afterwards. Manny Diaz gave this uh, as his opening statement. He says, the opening statement is we got our ass kicked. It was a humiliating performance. That sums it up as well as any head coach could in a post-game press conference. I kind of thought that Miami had been skating by this year. If you've listened to this podcast, you know that I was not completely sold on the Hurricanes and the way they had been playing and winning some of these games. And I kind of thought that UNC was better than it shown. And, you know, week to week, it is tough to uh, figure out exactly what you're going to get from the Tar Heels. They could look great in, in one half and then terrible in another offensively. Uh, I think it all came together this week and, and probably restored order that I would have imagined in the ACC. I know Miami is still ahead of North Carolina in the standings, but it's not ahead of it in the rankings, uh, which is what matters in terms of possibly getting an Orange Bowl bid for North Carolina here. So uh, I think this is the correct outcome to how the season should be that North Carolina, if Clemson and Notre Dame get into the playoff, uh, that North Carolina would then jump up and take that Orange Bowl spot. Lastly, uh, there is unbelievably another game this week other than the ACC championship game. Miami, Miami and Georgia Tech got canceled, but uh, for all of you gambling addicts out there, Florida State is playing at Wake Forest. I think that's the game that everybody was clamoring for this season was to see the Seminoles go up to Winston-Salem. Wake Forest is a six-and-a-half-point favorite in that game. Uh, I would like the Deacons in this one. Florida State is coming off a big win against Duke. Uh, the, the Blue Devils are good for what ails you uh, when you're struggling, it appears. Uh, Wake Forest is coming off a surprising uh, 45-21 loss at Louisville where they were just not competitive at all. But I feel like Wake Forest is still a very motivated team in this. And, and Dave Clawson earlier this week said, if they let us play in two bowl games, we'll play in two bowl games. So you see all these schools opting out. Uh, Wake Forest desperately wants to be playing in a bowl game here. That's going to do it for this week's show. Everybody go watch the ACC Championship and enjoy it. This is a game. I'm so glad I don't have to cover a game this weekend because I can just sit there and enjoy this. Uh, you know, two teams playing for their playoff lives here. Maybe. Who knows if they can get in uh, with a loss or not. But I think it should be a real uh, fun game to watch. Uh, we'll be back again next week to talk about it and everything that goes on and the playoff implications from that. Uh, go and rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to The Athletic. We have a great buy one, get one deal right now. You can knock off some Christmas shopping from your list. You know you've waited too long to do your Christmas shopping. You can do it now. You don't have to ship anything anywhere. Everybody will love this gift. Uh, follow me on Andy Bitter VT at Andy Bitter VT on Twitter. You know, I'll probably tweet some stuff out during the ACC title game. Uh, my witty remarks there, but uh, I'll be back again to talk to you on the podcast next week. I'll talk to you then. <laughs>